it is a dreamy book. It's it's very dreamy and it's intended to be a, an invitation to dream. That was the whole idea. Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. I'm Costas Halabrezos. Today, author Wanda Baxter. On the eve of World War II, just before leaving Japan, a missionary from New Brunswick named Loretta Shaw gave a copy of Anne of Green Gables to a translator of children's literature, her friend Hanaka Muroka. During the war years, Hanaka read and secretly translated the book into Japanese. It was published in 1952. Now, as you might know, that event launched a phenomenon. It made Green Gables a pilgrimage site for hundreds of thousands of Japanese readers. I wonder, a generation from now, whether readers from all over the globe will feel just as compelled to visit our corner of the world because of a book entitled If I Had an Old House on the East Coast. It was written by Wanda Baxter and illustrated by Cat Frick Miller, and it would be hard to read it without being seduced into visiting here on a quest for such a house. Wanda Baxter, welcome to Book Me. Thanks so much. You describe the kind of houses we might see anywhere in the Atlantic provinces, but I guess kind of take for granted because... They seem to have been there forever, and we might drive by them at, you know, 70 kilometers an hour or something in the country. But but you take us back to that intensity of sensation a child feels on, on seeing something interesting for the first time. Could you read us some of your introduction? Sure. And it's funny you say that about as a child might see, because I think that's um, something that I am glad for. I have not lost that kind of childlike sense of wonder. But yeah, I'll read just the beginning and maybe the opening quote. So if I had an old house on the East Coast. Old houses, I thought, do not belong to people ever. Not really. People belong to them. And that's a quote by Gladys Tabor in the introduction. Love at first sight. If I had an old house on the East Coast, I would fall in love at first sight. It would grab me by the heart and not let go. It would appear as in a dream at the top of a lane and maple trees lining the way. Below it, a field of hay slopes down, blown sideways in the wind, and a brook, too wide to jump, meanders through ferns and towering white pine. In the mornings, I'd sit there and drink coffee with cats and wonder about the place, how it came to be this way, out of wilderness. There might be a time-worn photo left behind of the property taken from above, a bird's-eye view of the house and old barn, the apple, pear, and cherry trees out behind, the ocean barely visible in the distance. It's lovely. I, I mean, you strike a particular tone and, and you maintain it through the book, and it's very comforting. And by the time we get to the <laughs> end in the winter, I, I just wanted someone to tuck me into bed. You know? <laughs> it is. It, it's, um, uh, did you work on maintaining that tone in the I book? D- I did for sure. Yeah, it was something with the editor and I, because sometimes she would give edits. Uh, this was toward the end of the process of making the book. And I agreed with some of the edits, but it threw it off, like the rhythm and the tone would go, so I'd have to try to take the edit, but keep the tone. So it was an interesting editing process to try to keep the rhythm and the feeling. So um, I did actually work quite hard at that, so I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> Thank it's, you. It's, it's kind of a negotiation, ongoing negotiation with your uh, editor, I guess. Absolutely, yes. 
the illustrations by Cat Frick Miller uh, seem to really fit the tone of your prose too. I guess just like a mortise and tenon in an old uh, old house. How did you two get to work together on this? We were actually just talking about this. Um, we did a presentation on collaborating, and I actually knew her work. I'd seen her show at the Black Duck in Lunenburg of uh, her grad work, and it was a beautiful show. She did screen prints of Lunenburg County, kind of like old pies and quilting and that kind of thing, and it really uh, struck a nerve with me. And it was probably a year and a half after that that I had the idea for this book, and when I um, talked to a publisher about it, they said, well, you should talk to an artist and then develop a proposal. So she came immediately to mind and I cold called her. I, I literally just sent really? her. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I just emailed her. I had the pitch very organized by then. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, it was just a shot in the dark and um, it was a very lucky one. We immediately got along and have a very similar sensibility. So And yeah. she got what you were trying to get at. Right away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good. How about dreaming us into the approach to this house on the East Coast? Yeah, the entrance is the first point. There is a section called at the entrance, and I'll read that. At the entrance would be a stairway of long, thick pieces of slate, carefully positioned and mortared into stairs, and on the wooden door, a large, heavy knocker, hand-hammered, like something you might see on an old castle. I'd want a bright-colored screen door in its place in the summer to let the light in and the breeze and to mark the end of winter. A driftwood chime might hang in the entryway, making a firewave sound that conjures fog and lighthouses and seals. And if I had an old house on the East Coast, there would be souvenirs of visits to the beach, of shells and favorite stones at the entrance. I'd keep a bottle for collected sea glass just inside the door, where I would drop newly found pieces from my pocket when I came home. So you place this imagined house in in a particular landscape, but also in history. Tell us why both are important for anyone who wants a rural home on the East Coast. That's what a lot of is in the book, is my own experience and um, stories that I heard from other people about their old houses. But in my own experiences, I actually tracked the deed back. I have no idea how I fell onto it, but I, um, I'm i a bit of a researcher, so I went to the government office where you can look at um, old deed books, and you could track back to the last owner and then track it all the way back, and it was really an amazing process, and it's unshakable, actually. Like I really felt like I didn't just get to know the house, but the people um, who'd been there. It was uh, quite an experience, and seeing the old maps and the beautiful old deeds, it was also something that I hadn't seen before and was lovely. And, and there's a, a real sense of gratitude for all the people who went before you uh, right back to the, the Mi'kmaq and Maliseet in That's the East Coast. That's for sure. It's hard not to think about, really, because it's we live in a very clearly intentionally colonized area. Lunenburg is renowned for the planning, you know, the it's early British. Houses, yeah. It's very, it, it, and it's beautiful in its planning. Um, there were people already there. So it's very palpable in that region. And there were a lot of stories tied to our land in particular. So it's, it's difficult not to feel when you're there and and really know. So uh, yeah, that was important. But also just the craftsman work, it's just incredible. It was 1783 when our house was built. And the size of the slate stone in the fireplace is incredible. Like just thinking about how did they even lift it? 
you know, to get on to the sure. other piece, like just tiny details like that. If you notice that, then it's very difficult not to um, have gratitude for that effort that we certainly don't experience anymore, that kind of um, real, yeah, physical labor. Yeah, the artisanship that, that went Incredible. into it as well. Incredible, yeah. Uh, aside from the, the obvious warmth of feeling you have for, for such a house and your, your house in particular, you also slip in a lot of practical tips right. on, on <laughs> achieving an authentic interior. Tell us about the walls and, and how you can kind of get them to talk. It's not only in my experience. I've definitely um, talked to other people about um, learning about their house and the history as they um, renovate. So, yeah, in, in our house, there was one wall that was incredibly cold. Like, it, literally, wind was just coming through. And it was horsehair, and you could feel back, like it was squeezed between the beams. And then you could literally see that what they'd used to try to block the wind was birch bark like lining behind it, which like was not working very well <laughs> anymore, but it was really something to see. And I know I was at someone else's house where, yeah, they started peeling off wallpaper thinking, you know, no big deal. Like how, how much of a project can it be? It was a monster project. <laughs> there were layers and layers and layers. And I actually kept a piece of the wallpaper um, that we found that day out um, ripping off wallpaper in his house. And I kept, and I I framed it as a present, and he actually really hated that wallpaper. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't like it at all. Take that away. Yeah. But Catherine um, Miller was, was able to uh, incorporate some wallpaper designs in there. Oh, she did a beautiful job, and really, I really loved working with her because it it wasn't like I had to keep talking or explaining like what I had in my mind. It was right there. Often I'd be like, Yeah, if I was an artist. That's pretty much what I would like to be able to do. And, and you even get into giving uh, readers the formula for, for whitewash. Right. Yes. Well, I really love whitewash. Which I'm tempted to try now that I read. <laughs> well, you should. It's, it's actually a really cool and um, beautiful finish. It doesn't work everywhere, to be truthful. Like, I have it in my entryway, and I have it on some concrete walls um, in, the, in the back. Um, I also have it in the greenhouse. But it really has a different layering effect and a beautiful staying power, and it feels different. It can be tedious putting on. It's not as easy as paint. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really something. I like that do-it-yourself stuff. My partner and I, we worked on a lot of projects. We worked on so many that it got quite tiring, um, and some I couldn't stay for. The last one where they ripped up the floors to hand hammer a new wood floor down, I had to go. I couldn't do any more <laughs> projects, but a lot of them I really enjoyed. So I wanted to share part of that experience. You say this ideal rural home on the East Coast should live on the edge of nature. What goes into creating that feeling? It's really part of my whole thinking. I'm an environmental project manager. Uh, you know, that's what I do for work. So it's a little bit of an attempt to get, um, you know, nature in there. But it's also just how I live. And it's a lot of, it's how a lot of people live. It's where people built their houses was it actually used the land. So it's it's still there. And I feel very lucky to live where there's nature intact. Yeah. In, including mobile nature, the creatures that uh, live off in yes. the, the woods behind the house. Absolutely. Yes. It's, Coming it's, in to nibble at your garden now I then. will say that sometimes <laughs> is not as enjoyable as um, I, yeah, I've had some experiences with porcupines that I, um, they pull raspberries down 
raspberry canes to see if the raspberries are ready. So they actually don't, they don't even wait. <laughs> they break a lot of canes. So I I don't love them as much as I used to, um, but I still do. So tell me, do you expect that some people on the other side of the world might uh, come seeking an old house on the East Coast because of your book someday? One never knows. Uh, you know, we were very surprised that a Chinese publisher did pick it up. So um, we were fairly surprised at that, particularly because it's um, identified. You know, it's a regional book. At the same time, it is a dreamy book. It's it's very dreamy, and it's intended to be a, an invitation to dream. That was the whole idea. So could it appeal to lots of people and in other languages? I, I get it. It's not what I foresaw. But yeah, I get it. And it would be great. <laughs> Wanda Baxter, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Wanda Baxter is the author of If I Had an Old House on the East Coast, which is illustrated by Kat Frick-Miller. To hear conversations with more of the people who create books in Atlantic Canada, go to bookmepodcast.ca or just enter bookme with an exclamation mark in your search engine. If you'd like to rate and or review our podcast, you can do that on iTunes. BookMe is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. Thanks to the Halifax Central Library for the use of its studio. Our producer is Robin Grant, and our technical director, Lynn Fox, is in love with her old apartment on the East Coast. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. Read.